This is for the motherhood, a community of courageous women uniquely cherished. Though each is expressly different, all answer to the same name, mother. Mentor mother, may you be blessed. You are a close friend, a confidant. You provide strength to those in need. Your kinship is not confined to blood. Your warm embrace is an open door. And you wear grace like a second skin. Expectant mother, may you be blessed. You are an endless source of awe. Your body is a glowing garden giving way to someone new. Your generosity has no bounds and your hope is endless. Patience becomes you. Grieving mother, may you be blessed. Your tears are powerful. May they flow freely. You are not alone in your anguish. Jesus weeps with you. Whether loss or longing, your process is real. Though your sorrow knows no timetable and reaches deeply to your core, your heart can and will sustain more. Troubled mother, may you be blessed. You are a warrior cloaked in humility, an advocate approaching prayer boldly. You are sincere in your concern. Your words do not fall on deaf ears. God is working on your behalf. The motherhood is made of many mothers. No two are the same and there is no comparison. Yet a mother is a mother is a mother. Tired mother, you will find strength for a new day. Discouraged mother, you will laugh again. Joyful mother, your delight echoes to the heavens. Every mother, may you be blessed. I just want to take a minute to thank our financial supporters who have helped us bring this ministry together online. And also, the, the financial contributions that we've had uh, since this quarantine has begun, it's just been so surprising and so uh, inspiring. We've been able to continue to feed families in need through our food shelf. We've been able to help uh, parents work through our daycare programs and so many more ministries. And I just want to thank you for that. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the say-so that God gives us here at Woodland Hills Church. And, uh, and we talk about using our say-so responsibly. And one of the ways that we use our say-so is by investing in things that are bigger than ourselves. And one of the ways that you can do that, that you can invest in something bigger than yourself, is to consider making a, uh, uh, an investment in Woodland Hills Church with your financial say-so. And, uh, and what I want to do is I just want to give you a minute to, to consider that. But here's the thing. I started doing automatic payments and automatic uh, sort of... Uh, uh, donations to Woodland Hills, and that has made my donations so easy, but it also sort of can slip my mind that I'm doing it. And so what I would encourage you to do is, if you set up automatic donations, which I encourage, continue to do that mindfully and prayerfully and, and keep thinking intentionally about that because really when we give to something, we're, we're really using the resources that God gave us and we're responsible for that and, and, and we can be blessed by that. But if we forget about it, then we can't. And so I want to give you a couple minutes to, to uh, consider making a financial contribution to Woodland Hills Church and uh, we'll be back in just a minute.
Portland. How are you all doing this Mother's Day morning? I hope that you are cozy and comfortable as you are joining us for church this morning. Um, I gave up dressing up for church like week two of this quarantine, and it was just full-on PJs, full-on yoga pants, showing up for Jesus. So I hope that that is your reality right now. So Greg kind of like opened up a Pandora's box for me last week when he preached on the parable of the talents, because as soon as I heard that Greg was preaching on the parables, I was like, oh, oh, I can preach on a parable. Like, that's what I'm going to do this week, because as some of you all may know from when I last preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I love, love, love parables. In fact, I think I told you all that my favorite icebreaker among believers was what is your favorite parable and why? And I cannot tell you how many emails after that sermon I got of people sharing with me their favorite parables, and I love it. I love how Jesus uses these short stories, oftentimes uh, anecdotes or jokes even, to highlight aspects of the human experience in order to reveal the way of the kingdom of God. And if we look back to what Greg said last week about parables, he gave us a really important insight that parables are Jesus' way of taking these kingdom values, our kingdom ethics, and making them real and accessible for us in our here and now lives. And today, we are going to look at a parable that I feel like is incredibly relevant to many of us as we quarantine because it's become something of a bit of a phenomenon during this global pandemic. Olympic athletes and elementary students alike have shared their experiences with the subject of today's parable. Psychologists have commented that, that the, the primary topic of today's parable has been a therapeutic and calming practice for people that uh, it's actually been an important part of their self-care to battle against the anxiety that comes from being subjected to a 24-hour news cycle. Many friends and neighbors, small groups and coworkers have figured out creative ways to share the topic of today's parable with each other because they found that in doing so, they continue to stay grounded and centered in community. So today, friends, we're going to talk about bread, and more specifically, the baking of it. Because whenever somebody asks me, Oshida, other than COVID-19, what is something that you think about every day as you shelter in place? I tell them that I think about my sourdough starter that I have been cultivating since the first week of the quarantine. This, I got a message uh, that started my whole sourdough Amish friendship bread starter journey um, from a neighbor. And her message came to me at just the right time. I was sitting at my kitchen table after a disastrous Zoom call. I, I was in a meeting with nothing but only, only guys, and I was trying to figure out how to show the PowerPoint that I had worked so hard on with, this, with them, and so I was trying to figure out how to do the screen share, but there was also some stats from a video that I wanted to play to go along with the PowerPoint, and so I knew that I had to somehow get deep into Zoom and find that screen share button and click it, and so I, I was trying to figure out how to do everything, and at the moment when I hit screen share, instead of this beautiful PowerPoint that I, that I was so proud of, my Hy-Vee grocery list popped up on the screen. And y'all, I desperately wanted that thing to come off the screen because on the, what all these guys saw were that I was planning on buying four different types of Oreos, don't y'all dare judge me, five different kinds of cereal, one for every person in our family, and they weren't just the healthy brandy, brandy kinds. And then, um, 
some personal care products for my teenage daughter and I. And so I'm desperately trying to pull this off the screen. And so I figured out how to take it off. But then the video starts playing. And it's so loud that all of us rip our headphones off. And they're screeching. And I'm freaking out. And it, it was a mess. It was a complete and total mess. The good thing was that I was dressed for this call. And not like that guy who, after he, was, after he finished presenting at his work Zoom meeting, he got up, walked away from the computer, stretched, and all of his coworkers saw that he wasn't wearing any pants. <laughs> Working from home has not been easy for me. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table, and I get this message from my neighbor down the street, and it pops up on my phone, and she just has four sentences that just saved my quarantine. She said, hey, neighbor, I have some sourdough starter. I have plenty to share. It takes a little bit of work, but it's fun. Do you want some? And so I wrote back to her, hey, how are you guys? Are you healthy? Is everything okay over there? And she wrote back, yes, and we're so bored. And so immediately I grabbed my shoes and my mask and my dog and we walked over to my friend's house to pick up a Ziploc bag of a kind of sourdough called Amish friendship bread. So my friends, I want to introduce you to that starter. This is Molly Weasley. Molly Weasley, if you know any of you Harry Potter nerds out there, is the mama supreme of Harry Potter. She's also magical. But I have been caring for the starter, uh, like I said, since week one of this quarantine. So I have been actively cultivating and working on starters for seven weeks. And that is all that I have been thinking about. And so when I, when the floodgates to look at a parable and come and teach a parable with, to you all came, was an option for me, I immediately knew I wanted to talk about bread. And I wanted to talk about my starters because this starter requires some work for me. I tend her every single day. Um, sometimes I just stir her or mush, mush her, but she's in a Ziploc bag. And then I feed my starter with flour, sugar, and milk until she's ready to be divided. And then I keep a few for myself to continue cultivating, and I give the rest away. And every time I have a batch of starters, I give them some sort of magical or mystical name because Y'all, I still can't really understand the science, the magic, the wonder that it is that after 10 days of caring for this mushy, gushy mix, I have sweet, delicious bread at the end. And I've broken, I've pushed against the isolation of this quarantine by having the joy of community by sharing. So today is Molly's big day. It's time to feed her because she's hungry, and it's time to share her because she's lonely. So after this message, Dan and I are going to show you how to feed and divide an Amish friendship bread starter, so you'll want to stick around for that. Y'all, to be honest, I kind of have been feeling like St. Francis of Assisi during this quarantine, giving names and speaking to living things as if they are my dear, dear friends. I guess that's what happens when you're just only stuck with your family. But really, you all, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this hopeful parable from Jesus about the slow, intentional ways that the kingdom of God shows up in our lives, much like the slow, intentional ways that yeast moves and creates a starter. So that we can be encouraged and inspired and mobilized to be kingdom people during this pandemic, so that even though we are surrounded by bitter news and heartbreak, we can also know that we can be a part of creating sweetness and joy around us. So join me in prayer. Jesus, 
Thank you for your teachings that, that open our eyes to the kingdom way right where we are. I pray for every single one of my friends to know exactly what creating sweetness and goodness, creating the peace of the kingdom of God looks and feel, feels like for them during this strange and stressful time, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we are going to be looking in Luke uh, 13, 20 through 21. Now, I am not Greg with a big old Bible, and I'm not like Dan who brought his big Bible. I have this tiny Bible that I use. I've had this Bible for 10 years, and if you were up close, you would see that the handle part is flopping off of it, and you would see that the, the cover is uh, falling apart, and you would see that it's flipped open. Um, it has seen some things and has been with me through some things. And so I am in the process of trying to find a new Bible, but I have a hard time finding the right one because I have a bunch of uh, non-negotiables, but the first one, the first non-negotiable is that it has red letters. Because the red letters are an important part of my spiritual formation while I'm reading scripture. The red letters remind me of something that we cannot forget anytime we read any teaching of Jesus that Jesus showed up to be among us. This is called the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time, but this is what we need to hold in our minds through all, all the whole year and every time we read Jesus' teaching, that God loved us so much that God came to be among us and enter into our experience so that we can know God better. That God said, I would much rather die for you than live without you. And that my teachings are the words, not just of life, but of love. And so whenever I open up my Bible, I look for those red letters to remind me of the incarnation. Now, when people typically talk about starters, they say that the first starter, the very beginning starter that creates all the starters, one starter to rule them all, if you will, is called the mother starter. And if I would say that there was any first starter for us before we jump into our scripture, is that we are, that, that God loves us so much that God desires to be with us. That God desires a deep covenantal relationship with us. We have seen that all through scripture. And this is why it's important for me to read our passage today from this fallen apart Bible with red letters. So let's look at Luke 13, 20. Because we are now going to explore different ways that the kingdoms show up for us. We're going to call them kingdom starters that flow from the influence of that first mother starter of God's sacrificial covenantal love for us. So let's look at Luke 13, verses 20 through 21. So then Jesus says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. It is a short parable that has an, an immense impact for us if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. So what's going on in our text? Well, what Jesus is doing, this, this parable is usually coupled with the parable of the mustard seed because what Jesus is doing in these teachings is he is highlighting the massive, extraordinary vision of the kingdom of God in our everyday, ordinary life. He is looking for a way to make it accessible. And so what he does is he compares it to a small lump of yeasty dough that is kneaded into a large amount of flour until the effects of the yeast spread throughout the dough and create something that is of great value, a loaf of bread. Every person within the sound of Jesus's teaching resonated with that because bread and the making of bread was a staple in their culture. It was as everyday and accessible as going to the well to get water or losing your coins in a field or planting your seeds in a field. 
For the modern listener, we may have a hard time uh, seeing the everydayness of this passage because we usually go and buy bread if we can find it on the shelves. Or if we're in a baking mood, we go and we get sealed packets of yeast. But in Jesus' day, when they baked, they would save a little bit of that day's dough and keep it moist to mix into the dough for tomorrow's bread. So in a lot of ways, the leavening that Jesus is describing is much like a starter because a starter relies on daily care and their surrounding environments to ferment in order to create the leavening to help the dough rise. In short, what Jesus is saying is that the leavening is essential. I learned this as a kid. I used to want to make bread as a kid, and so what I would do is I would gather the flour, and I would gather the sugar, and I would gather the water or milk if my mom would let me, and then I would take any kind of yummy mix-in I could find in our house, raisins, chocolate chips, candies, whatever, and I'd mix them together and pour them in a pan and throw them in the oven and pray, 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 pray that bread would come out. And what I actually ended up baking was utterly disgusting. I mean, y'all, it was bad. Like, my dog didn't even want to eat it. And so I tried this recipe, if you will, out several different times, and I still couldn't figure out why it wasn't turning into bread, why it wasn't the delicious treat I was hoping to have. And so I called my mom into the kitchen, and I showed her what I was doing, and I said, what am I doing wrong? And she chuckled, and she said, Oshita, you have everything you need to make it taste good, but if you want to have bread, you need yeast to make it rise. The yeast is what turns it into bread. This leavening agent helps turn that dough from a flat and unappetizing mess into that fluffy, delicious after-school treat I craved. And I just love how Jesus compares the kingdom of God to leavening. Now, for some, when they come to this passage and they immediately see that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to leavening, they, they may be taken aback a little bit. They may remember in scripture where they have seen that leavening has been compared to sin or evil or wickedness. For instance, in Hosea 7.4, it is said that they are all adulterers, like an oven heated by a baker who needs not stoke the fire from the kneading to the rising of the dough. So those who may take leaven as an image of sin, they do actually have a lot to work with in Scripture. It has been a predominant meaning of that image in Scripture. But the mistake is looking at the leavening and assuming that Jesus is teaching on the sin that leaven has traditionally has been used as a metaphor, and not that Jesus is highlighting a different aspect of the leavening. What Jesus is actually teaching is he is describing the way a leaven works. And he is saying that a leaven is, a, a leaven is compared to a way of being or thinking that spreads and creates a lasting effect. Jesus is teaching us that the leaven is a way of being or thinking that spreads to create a lasting effect. And so when we think of leaven in this, from this way as an influence, we can now look back at the teachings of Jesus and see that this was consistent in the way that he spoke of leaven. So in Matthew, after the disciples realized that they forgot bread and, and to, sit, to sit with Jesus after they had been ministering all day, and they were so anxious about it, you guys, that that was all they could think about and that was all they could talk about. And so Jesus sits with them and he warns them about the leaven of the Sadducees in Matthew 16, 6. 
who, who came with the Pharisees and demanded a sign from Jesus. Jesus warns them that the Sadducees, the, the Jewish ancestors of the day, if you, or the Jewish aristocrats of the day, if you will, the rich men who focused uh, primarily on the pleasures of this life because they didn't believe that there was any kind of afterlife. These men who were supported by Roman benefactors and who were primarily responsible for the injustices in the temple that prevented the poor from accessing and getting to know and and reaching God. These men are who Jesus, these men and their influence is what Jesus compares to leaven. He says, their influence spreads like leaven, be on guard. When the disciples came to Jesus after three days of teaching the crowd and everyone was hungry, they asked him, Jesus, let us let them go. We will go eat and they will go figure out their meal plans and then we can all reconvene. And Jesus said, no, we are going to provide for them. And so Jesus performed a miracle feeding the thousands with seven loaves and a few small fish. In the account in Mark, Jesus warns them after everybody has been fed and satisfied, he warns them against the leaven of Herod, which is best understood as the influence of empire that often ignores the felt needs of the citizens and violates the core kingdom value of sacrificial love. Jesus says that Herod's leadership has influenced a nation of people um, who has created an us and them dichotomy who are comfortable with insider-outsider paradigms, who give, who, and Herod gave permission to his citizens to view people in terms of worthy and not worth anything at all. Jesus says his influence has spread like leaven. Be on guard. And then in Luke 12, Jesus warns against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is uh, hypocrisy, saying that the idea of saying that we believe one thing in order to receive fleeting accolades but then living a completely different way in our private lives with the people in our lives where it may have the most effect. When my husband and I teach our kids about integrity, we often point to this verse because we want them to be the people that God believes that they are when it's just them and God. Because our hope is as they practice that in the presence of God, it will come more naturally to them when they have to have integrity for the sake of others. This leaven is quiet and pervasive because you don't really have to have a certain status or have, uh, be an aristocrat or have any certain skills in order to fall prey to this leaven. Every single person could be influenced by hypocrisy. So Jesus says that this influence will spread and overcome like leaven. So be on guard. So while it may be confusing that Jesus uses this metaphor of leaven, which is often thought of sin or corrupt things, what Jesus is actually teaching about the kingdom of God is that the the kingdom of God, being kingdom people, us reorienting our lives to look like Jesus and live out his countercultural way in our practices and in our priorities is as influential as leaven. The kingdom of God will spread to every person we meet and overcome the effects of sin in our lives and our relationships if we let it. The leaven of the kingdom of God will transform a disgusting mess into daily bread. Much like the woman, though, we have to partner with God and let the leaven do its work. So if we have our mother starter, that God is a God of sacrificial love, covenantal love that wants to show up and be with us, 
and create a new way of being human, of being whole and flourishing right in our lives. If that is our mother, mother starter, and that is the starter that influences the rest of this passage, what kingdom starters can we pull from Luke? Well, the first starter is to imagine the experience of others. Okay, so the very first, the very first person we're introduced to in this parable is a woman. And the very, the primary action of this parable is a woman's work. Now, I want you to sit with that for a minute and imagine who might be listening to Jesus. There might be men in that gathering for whom that, that comparison of the kingdom of God to a woman and a woman's work is offensive to them. And if it's not offensive to them, it's so outside of their experience, they may have had a hard time fully putting themselves into it. Now, think about the women. The women who are, who are now hearing Jesus, a man, talk about the kingdom of God, connect theology to their lived experience. They are finding their way in the kingdom of God. And this should not surprise us at all that Jesus begins this parable this way, because through the life, through the life and ministry of Jesus, we see him honoring women in a unique countercultural way. What Jesus did was he talked to women. He talked about theology with women. He blessed women. He touched women. He sat with women. And a woman was the first to see uh, Jesus and run and go back and tell the disciples. Women have an important place in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, what he does in in this beautiful subversive way by starting this parable with a woman and a woman's work, is he is saying the kingdom of God is a place of radical equity, where all are invited into each other's experience. So he is inviting the men into the experience of a woman, and he is inviting the women to listen to him as a man honor their experience. I had such a hard time learning to honor someone's experience that was so different than mine when I lived in New Orleans. And this part of this parable really spoke to me and brought me back to that place. Because when I was in New Orleans, I was, uh, I was about four months pregnant with our first child. And I befriended a woman who, uh, who led a house church with her husband. She was raised Mennonite, but she was a Pentecostal woman. And so her and her husband had this vision for the house church, but she made it clear to every single person in that house church who, who joined that she wanted to focus on the home part of house church. She wanted to make the home a safe and welcoming place. She wanted it to be a a kitchen that was always, there was always something cooking. She wanted the backyard to be a place where people could come and sit and pray. She wanted the garden to flourish, and so she worked with us and taught us gardening. She had children, and she invited us to spend time with her as she cared for her children. She was the best picture of radical hospitality that I've ever seen. But during this time, when I started to get to know this woman, I was having my own internal um, battle because I was starting to come into a realization that God was calling me to be a preacher and a teacher and a leader in the local church. And so here I am with this woman who is this model of hospitality. And here I am as a woman in the church trying to own my leadership. And what you need to know about that is when a young woman begins to own her calling in the church, she sometimes puts up walls against anything that feels womanly or woman's work or domestic. 
Part of it is, part of it is from experience. Maybe she's received pushback from men, and so she has to protect herself because if she protects herself, she protects her calling. And part of it is she may have not seen other women hold those two things in tension, be both domestic and care for their home and love their church and love their community well. Be, radical, be radically hospitable both in the home and the church. And so I started to build a relationship with Judy, but in my heart, I was trying to influence her to validate the walls that I was putting up. So when we would be gardening in the, together in the garden and she would say something so profound about, about scripture or God, to be like, oh, you should preach. That'll preach, girl. Or if we, were, um, if we were working in the kitchen and we were putting together care packages for her, her husband to take to the mission, I would say, why don't you go with him? You should go lead right beside him. I was constantly trying to influence Judy, but she was coming underneath me with a different kind of influence. Because one day, we were working together, and Judy and I were both pregnant. She was a couple of weeks ahead of me, so we were both showing about the same. And our little like pregnant bellies were bumping into each other while we were making bread. And she, she and I bumped into each other, and we kind of giggled again. And, she, and that started a conversation about motherhood and how I was feeling about the delivery and, and anything that I was worried about. And, and I told her, like, I was honestly worried about this tension, that for a while I have been struggling with looking at her being so hospitable and radically and, and a radical domestic woman for Jesus, but then I also wanted to be like a radically like, impassioned and called teacher in the church, and I just didn't see how those two things could live together. And I had to ask for her forgiveness because for months I'd been trying to influence her. And so while we put the bread away to let it rise, we sat on the couch and we started talking about all of these scarcity mentalities that I was living into. All the ways that I didn't think that there was enough, that I didn't have enough, that I wasn't enough. And she slowly dismantled them with, with promises of God's abundance and faithfulness. And so... Towards the end of that conversation, I was looking around that room that she had so lovingly put together, the throw pillows that were just right, and the blanket that I pulled into my lap when I was feeling really vulnerable, and the smells that were coming from the kitchen, and the view to the garden, and I realized that this woman created a garden in her home. She, she created a, a bit of that it is goodness of the Garden of Eden right in the middle of the inner city of New Orleans. Judy was actually the woman who first gave me the heads up about postpartum depression, which I end up struggling with with all three of my pregnancies. She was the one who told me that she would look out for me and that she would pay attention if I had any of those symptoms and that she would help me find the help that I needed. And so when I struggled so desperately after my third child, I was able to get the help and I was able to communicate that I was struggling and put a word to my pain because of Judy. So I had to do the work of entering into somebody else's experience and allowing them to influence me. And that is what Jesus is asking us when he introduces us to the woman and the woman's work, to enter into an experience that may be different than ours. So whose experience are you, who, whose experience should you, is the Spirit asking you to enter into? Who, who is the person who, for whom their experience or their story feels a little bit offensive or maybe just completely outside of your, of your view because it's not your story? Jesus is saying that the kingdom, our influence, can spread and our love for each other can be transformative if we invite each other into our stories. So the next kingdom starter 
is to taste and see the contextualized flavor of our starter. So yes, 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 this woman worked. And she did the woman's work of making bread. And, and yes, 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 this is our hero. She's a woman. But what I wanted to do is to, to zoom out <laughs> and look at her environment. Look at her home. Let's look at the kitchen that she possibly was milling and grinding this bread or this, this flour, maybe even with another woman. Let's look all around, kind of like how I looked around Judy's room, and maybe see bedrolls and clothes, small items of food, and etc. Let's keep an eye on the fact that the grain and the oil were probably kept in a separate storage. Let's open our ears for the braying of the animals that are in their, in their food troughs, and their food troughs, which are often called mangers. Let's put ourselves in this space and zoom out. Because the environment where this woman made this bread matters. The flour that she uses matters. Because there is this interesting factoid about starters, which is so similar to the kingdom of God. So what happens is that starters will take on the unique uh, environment in which they are cultured in. So a couple of scientists in Turkey were curious about how starters worked. And so they, they made a mother starter, and then they gave it to two households, one in the valley and one in the mountains. And they gave them the starters, and they asked them to tend to them and care for them in the exact same way. So they, they, they fed them on the same day. They stirred them around the same time of day. As closely as they could match their experience with the starter, their care of the starter, they tried. And so then when it was time to make the bread, they, the scientists gave them the exact method and asked them to use this exact same technique so that it was, again, as close to, to exact and as similar as possible. And so they made the bread. And then it was time to taste the bread, and here's what they found. The bread tasted different. The bread from the valley tasted different than the bread from the mountain. Still delicious, still great, just different. And this is partly because the microbial life that is in the environment helps create the bread and the bread's taste and texture. This is really good news for us kingdom people. Because what this means is that the kingdom of God incarnates itself in the people of God. So many of us feel like we're not good enough Christians. But this parable says, take heart. Your unique expression of the kingdom of God matters, and it's powerful, and, and your, you as a kingdom person, just as you are, has influence. You kingdom person that loves to pray loud with your arms stretched in intercessory prayer, you matter and you have influence. You kingdom person that, that prefers contemplative, quiet prayers, you matter and you have kingdom influence. You extroverted kingdom person, you matter. We need you to show up when we can meet and care for others. You introverted kingdom person, you matter. You pay attention to all of the small details, all the ways that people are in the room because you're paying attention. You, kingdom person that loves art or theology or nature, you, kingdom person who is passionate about the, the, the things that God has placed in you, you have influence just as you are. And in a world right now that feels incredibly divisive, where we are struggling so hard to hear the best of one another and find bridges to one another and find connections to one another, we need this reminder 
that our diversity, that the unique way that God, that God incarnates God's self, God's kingdom in us matters. Because the kingdom of God is going to look different than the Somali community here in St. Paul. Then it's going to look different than an Italian community in New York City. Then it's going to look different than a Mexican community in Los Angeles. And then it's going to look different than a hipster community in Portland. And it's going to look different than the Cajun community in LA and in Louisiana. It's going to look different all over the world because we reflect the kingdom of God through our culture, through ourselves, through the unique way that God made us because God delights in the way that God made us. So when we fully live into the person that God made us to be and we allow the kingdom influence to flow through us, we can influence others. And think about this. If we are a community of kingdom people that own who God made us to be, and we are a community of kingdom people that celebrate the diversity and differences in one another, then we are a community of people that can lock arms and be unified. And that, that is the invasion of the kingdom of God that the world needs right now. So we are invited to taste and see the contextualized flavor of the kingdom of God because the world is craving to see that unity. And then the last thing that we see, the last starter, if you will, from this parable is that small influences create a big impact. So as we all know, yeast is small and it's seemingly hidden. When I am making a mother starter, it can be lost in the volume of flour and milk and sugar, but it has a mighty effect. Yeast has an impact that is disproportionate to its size. Yeast spreads and affects a chemical reaction that changes the nature and the composition of the bread. That is comparable to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is seemingly small, seemingly hidden, small scales of acts of love that are enacted by us that have a disproportionate effect in our community and in our society. It invades and infiltrates from behind enemy lines and changes things in a subtle but powerful way. And that is, that is the main influence that Jesus wants us to hold on to in this passage is that the kingdom of God comes in the small. And this is really good for us because we are all subjected to something that is big, that is happening on a large scale, that we feel mostly uncontrolled, that we cannot control and helpless to. We feel powerless, and we don't know where we fit in. Many of us feel like our ability to truly be kingdom people has been undermined by this global pandemic. Many of us feel like our efficacy has been cut out because we can't do the same things we used to do to show others that we love them and, enter in, and, and reveal Christ's sacrificial love to them in those same ways. Y'all, I have not hugged somebody that's not in my family for eight weeks. How do I show people that I love them and that I'm a kingdom person if I can't hug them? So I get it. I get that the ways that we are so used to being kingdom people and so used to showing the love of Jesus, maybe even these bigger uh, ways that we can't really participate in. But Jesus says that doesn't matter. This parable encourages us to look for the small things. This is a practical takeaway from this parable because the reality is a huge government program won't fix everything. Trillion-dollar buyouts are not going to make sure that every person is cared for and seen and loved. That is where you and I come in as kingdom people. 
that we can in small ways show up for those in our lives. We can send texts that we're praying for them. We can give a little extra to our church. We can make sure that we can drop off groceries for someone if we need it. Just recently, my husband and I dropped off laundry coins for our friends who live in apartment complexes with coins for laundry because it was just a small thing that we could do. There are small ways that we can show up for one another and the kingdom of God, the love of God will flourish from those small things. And it will create daily bread for those who are hungry. So those small things can have a lasting effect. And what I found is interesting that if a starter is cared for well, that if we show up daily to take care of our starter and we pay attention to the environment in which it's in, and it, it can actually live for generations to generations. So can you imagine the influence that has carrying one starter, one act of love, and it having a generational effect? I'm still trying to get my brain around what it would be like if my daughter was making Molly Weasley with her daughter when I'm 60. In addition to these small acts of love that changes our society, these small internal work, the small things that we do in our relationship with Jesus matter too. The changing, the being more consistent to pray. I tell you that I've tried to be more consistent with reading the Bible from an actual Bible and not an app because I'm so tired of being on screens. The little extra that we give, like I said, the little bit of time that we choose to listen to worship music instead of the 24-hour news cycle of despair or the times that we stay quiet and we're just honest about our feelings with God. These small practices will transform us and will heal us and will empower us to create good with the people who we are sheltering in place with. When I was in Boston, I saw the importance of a small act of love and a small internal change. When my husband and I were in seminary, I, had, I was part of a group of friends and we kind of jokingly called ourselves the seminary widows because we were just so tired of our husbands coming home and talking to us about dead theologians. And so we, uh, so we would always meet up and we would kind of chat about what was going on in our husband's respective programs. And, um, and the, the common conversation that we were having was we were struggling in our marriages. Not, not they, they weren't in desperate places, but we were just feeling disconnected from our husbands. Like we were tired of talking at 2 a.m. about egalitarianism and complementarianism. We just needed something else. Like, are we going to go on vacation this year? Like we just needed more from our marriages. And so I, I, I came up with the, the grand idea. I thought it was a great idea that I was going to help create some sort of like seminary wives version of the babysitters club. And I called it the date night network. And so I emailed all seven of these women and I said, Hey, listen, let's, uh, let's swap out childcare with each other. We all want to take care of our marriages. We all have children and we're feeling disconnected from our husband. So let's swap out childcare with each other. And don't worry, you don't have to do anything. You, I will, I will do all the planning. I'll figure out who lives closest to each other, who has similar allergies. I will, I'll do all the work. You just have to say yes. And of those seven, maybe two women said yes. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe this isn't a good time. And I let that dream go dormant for about three months. And then another one of us, another time, we started griping about it again. And I said, date night network while we were together. And, and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when I sent the email to say, hey, let's get it started, like one person emailed back. So my friend, a friend outside of this group, told us about a church that had a parents' night out program, and they specifically had this program to give parents a date night. And so my husband and I started putting our kids in that program, and I just let that dream go. See, I wanted to come and fix this whole group with this big organized program, and nothing was happening with them. 
But I was like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. You figure out your own date night situation. Well, a few months after my kids were safely and excitedly and weekly in our Parents' Night Out program, I was scrolling through Facebook while my kids were on the playground, and I saw one mom share a picture from the night before of her husband on a date night. And she said, date night, finally, thanks, so-and-so. And I was like, wait, so-and-so, like they were both in that meeting about Date Night Network. Wait, they... They're, they're making date night happen for each other. And then it was confirmed when the other woman commented below, yeah, girl, I'm so happy for you. Next week's your turn. And I thought, what are you doing? That date night network, like, th this was my thing. This was my thing. And I wanted to make it happen. And so I did what I now know is the passive-aggressive Facebook mom thing. I commented, you girls are so great. I'm so proud of you. Hashtag marriage goals. And then one of them commented back and said, hey, thanks so much for the idea. It has been so good for us. And I was humbled in that moment. One, because I was so irritated and taking the, taking the, the glory um, for an idea that God gave me. But also that I was so frustrated that these women, women took this vision of wholeness and flourishing in their marriages and said, I can't do it on this big scale, but what I do have energy for it's a small one-to-one -one connection. I can love this other family with my whole heart and take care of their kids every other week. And that to me is almost more kingdom than me coming in and saying, I will do all the work. So my friends, what are the small changes, the small things that you can do in your life right now? What are the small ways that you can love others? And what are the small adjustments in your heart that you need to make so that you can be more like, like Jesus? So that the influence of the love of God, the influence of the kingdom of God has spread to you and allows um, hope and goodness flourish within you. All these ways may seem small, but they have a great impact. So be encouraged. So in closing, if I were to take Jesus' parable and make it modern for today. If I was going to uh, give us a way of thinking about this parable that feels relevant in our here and now lives, I would say that the parable could sound like this. The kingdom of God is a friendship bread starter shared by a woman desperate for peace during the despair of the COVID-19 global pandemic that she cultivated and cared for and then shared with all of her neighbors, one neighbor to another neighbor, and that neighbor to another neighbor, until every home on their block had a mason jar or Ziploc bag or Tupperware mix waiting to be baked into bread so that no one was hungry and all felt connected. So go forth, friends. Cultivate that kingdom start in your heart and look for the sweetness. Amen. Oshida is going to teach me how to do friendship bread and a uh, friendship starter, I guess friendship I should say. Friendship starter, yeah. yeah. And I just want to show off my, my uh, apron uh, that, that uh, Barbara made for me. It says, hi, mom, I'm cooking. <laughs> so, hi. Uh, all right, uh, Oshida, teach me. Look at all these ingredients. Okay, so the first thing that you need to do is you need to take Molly Weasley the starter. That's this one. Yeah, that's the first okay. one. And you're going to want to you're going to want to pour it in. Are you familiar, Dan, with like a dump recipe? No. Okay, it doesn't mean it tastes bad. Oh, what okay. a dump recipe is, it's basically you just you just take a bunch of ingredients and you dump it oh, all together. I like that. I can dump do that. Dump recipe. Do I use this to get yeah, it out? Yeah, you go okay. ahead and use that. All right. 
Am I using the right end? Uh, I mean, I would be concerned if you used the other one. Okay, good, good, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you want to get as much as you can out of that. Okay. Is this the starter in So here? that's the starter. You want to describe how it smells? Because it smells kind of good. It does smell good. It um, smells doughy. Mm-hmm. But it also smells a like little a little bit, a little sour. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, I think I got most of it out. Okay. All right. So then the next thing you do, and you can do this in any in any order you want. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. it, there, so the, you can mix in, probably go ahead and do it with the flour. Is this the flour? Mm-hmm. This is the flour. The flour. And then what you want to do, though, is you want to mix it. Now? Mm-hmm. Even go before ahead, I put the Go ahead and mix in? it okay. a little bit. Wait, I'm going to use the, this is the mixer, right? Well, you, well, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I want to make sure I'm using the right tools. You know? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Just wanna, you just want to start a little bit of a mix. You're not fully mixing it. You just want to okay. kind of start get getting them, yeah, getting okay. them used to each other. All right. And then you're going to want to take the milk. The milk. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, because this is getting a little thick. A little thick, so, yeah. yeah. So you're going to want to mix right, that, cool. and you'll mix it all together. Okay. Um, hey, uh, do, can I add chocolate chips to this? Not yet. Oh, okay. No. I don't have any, but because I'm just wondering. Quite, yeah, but no, what about when like it's, broccoli? When it's, huh, bro- no. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. No, what okay. kind of starter life are you trying to live, I don't know. Man? I'm just, I'm exploring my options. No, you know, this so. is full-on sweetness and deliciousness. Okay, okay good, good. We I can, like it. I mean, there are some breads that have vegetables like zucchini bread, but this is not what we're doing. This is not that. Okay, it's not good, what we're doing. Good, good. Okay, and then the last thing you want to do is you want to add the sugar. Now, some people can't um, eat sugar, and so this is an Amish friendship bread, and so it requires sugar, but a, a different oh. type of sourdough starter does not use sugar. But this one does use sugar. Okay. Okay. I like the one with sugar. Probably. I do too. I, Makes more likely. sense when you're ready to add chocolate chips later. Yes, that's right. Okay. Now here is the tricky part because we don't have a we don't have a scooping cup up here. So what you oh you want to keep stirring? Can you use that? Yeah, you, you oh, okay. maybe you want to keep stirring. Oh, do you know what might be? Yeah, here's what we'll do. Keep stirring until it gives you like a, a uniformed consistency. It's okay if there's a little bit of uh, lumps in okay. it. Okay. Um, but you want to kind of have as many of the ingredients mixed together. And then what I'll say for you to do, Dan, is when you feel like there's a good consistency going on there, that it's mostly mixed, instead of you using those Ziploc bags, why don't you just kind of pour them in equal amounts into the four starter, into those four mason jars. Okay. We have been told that Ziploc bags are not as pretty as mason jars. Oh, okay. Right? Well, yeah, I think I agree with that. <laughs> So do you oh, have any great. questions while you're, I, while well, you're... I do, totally. In fact, one of the things I'm wondering, like, when do you actually eat the bread? Okay, so what will happen is you're going to put them in their mason jars, and then so they're going to start to culture. And so the first day you don't do anything, because it's just been through a lot. Like, Molly has gone through a lot right now. She <laughs> yeah. needs to rest. So then the next day you're just going to stir it, and so for the next... Four days, I think you you go. I can't stir st- this for four days. No, I need a break. If and if it's in a mason oh, jar. Oh, I see. Okay, all right, good. You shake it up a bit. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Just gotta be okay. careful about it because because it, it builds the gas is built up in it, and so mason jars sometimes are tricky because they they will actually. So I've seen mason jar lids pop off. So that's why some people prefer to do their starters inside of a ziploc bag because you can open the top and let the air out. Yeah. Which I think a lot of us need space to let the air out during oh, this quarantine. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, so then you'll do that. You'll feed it again. So that means you'll add the same uh, measure of ingredients oh, you feed, again. That's how you feed it is you add these mm-hmm. again? So you'll okay. feed it again halfway through. And then it will continue to culture. And then another four days, I think, you, then it's ready to be uh, fed one more time, divided, and then divide it up. And then wow. you keep some. It's ready to be baked at that point. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I love the fact that it's Mother's Day. And this is called the mother starter? Well, Molly was. Molly was. Okay. And now, now we're making children. And, and kind of. That's, that's so perfect. It's like, it's Mother's <laughs> Day. Does, does the taste degrade? Like, so, so actually what happens is, remember, kind of in the sermon when I talked about, like, your environment will affect your starter. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like an act of trust for somebody to give a starter because you're, you're trusting them to take care of it. But you're also trusting that they'll keep it in an environment where, it, where it'll be, well, it can cultivate well. So you don't want it in, in an overly warm environment. Mm-hmm. You want to try to keep it cool. So I don't ever keep my starters anywhere near my oven. Um, but as, as long as you care for it daily, the taste will the taste will not degrade, as she put it. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll continue to have that like kind of sweet and sour scent to it. And then when it goes to be baked, um, it'll have a little bit of that sweetness and sourness combined with whatever mixing you put into it. Wow, that's amazing. So, so like, can you tell, like, if you have, if you eat the bread, can you tell, like, hey, you need to clean your kitchen? No. This tastes funny. And that's the grace of the oh, Amish French bread. Also, that's cool. yeah, also okay. friend, like, the, sometimes the reason why I'm a little, like, fuzzy on the dates when you feed and you, and you stir it is because Amish French bread is really, really patient with you. Mm. So if you miss a day, um, it's okay. Just jump back in. Um, but one little factoid is, it's interesting. You can, you can tell from some Amish French bread if they're cultured in a kitchen that has a lot of onion or garlic versus really? a lot of fruits mm. because the, the scents in the air somehow like become a part of the culturing process when wow. you take it out to feed it and That's stir so it. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. And then uh, let me ask you this. Now, I'm not wimping out here, but could I use like a, some type of blender or something? So this, here's the I... deal. You don't really want to con- really use any type of metal when, you oh. are, when you're making your, your sourdough starter um, because the, the chemical reaction between the metal and the starter will uh, affect the taste of, hmm. of it. So, what do you think? How does that look? That is ready to okay. be poured. So now I can pour it? Yep. All right. Let's see. I gotta, I'm going to use one of these bags as a... Just, yeah, keep it, okay, keep it clean. That's great. And then I'm going to try and pour this. I this, am super I'm excited. I've tested this. <laughs> <laughs> so just, a little, just a, a little equal distance, like a little equal bit. So kind of just eyeball it. And you're keeping one, Dan. Okay. And I'm going to take the other three back home. And it's okay because I have starter at home that I've been feeding. So if there's not a ton in mine, it's fine. But what are you going to name your starter? Oh, fun. Um... The first name that comes to mind is Frederick Chopin. Okay, so you got to tell me about that. What is well, that? Well, you know, I just, <laughs> this is tacky and kind of corny, but I kind of, I really love Frederick Chopin's music, and this is kind of going to be like music for my mouth. Oh, are so, you going to listen to Chopin? I am going to listen to Chopin. Opus, oh my Opus 23, that's listen, what I'll listen if it's to. not on the internet, it didn't happen, so you're going to need to put that on your Instagram. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. And then we just cap these? Then you just cap them. Really? Okay, yeah. I want to make sure I get the right and cap. And everybody, Dan just mixed. He just fed a sourdough starter. That's and, what that was called. Uh, Amish friendship bread okay. starter. Okay. And you divided it. Look at that. Look Small at that. acts of love right wow. here at Woodland Hills. And that's it, right? That's it. Wow, that is so cool. I cooked. That's <laughs> well, you, awesome. you, you, you baked. You mixed. I, like pre-baked, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Like the precursor to baking. All right. Well, I'm, taking, I'm taking credit. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, well, hey, listen, that was really fun and super easy. Thank you for teaching me how to do that. That's really neat. Uh, I kind of made a big mess. Is that normal? Uh, of course. Okay, good. It didn't really happen if there isn't a mess. Okay, good. Uh, listen, if you have any prayer needs that you have, you can go to the uh, website address on the screen. And we have one-to-one prayer ministers who are there to pray with you if you need that. Uh, also, uh, you know... Oshida and I and Shauna Boren will be talking on Tuesday at 4 o'clock on a show that we call The Musecast. And if you have any questions about Oshida's message or any thoughts or any uh, stories that you have about Friendship Bread, please send those to us at uh, musecast at whchurch.org. And we would love to talk about those during the show. The last thing I want to do is I want to pray for uh, moms today because it's Mother's Day. And I, I've had a, I have a mom who worked so hard and sacrificed so much for me, and I'm sure a lot of us have had that experience. And I, can't, I don't know how moms do it, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's just, I know what sort of a pain in the butt I was and how much work it was to raise me. And some people have multiple kids, and, and moms are just so amazing. And something that I've been thinking about and that we've all been thinking about this week is... Uh, just how burdensome it is to be a mom, but how much more so if you feel like your kid's life might be in jeopardy or threatened every time they go outside. And, uh, and, and for some people in our community right now, that's a reality where they, they have this extra sense of fear that just makes, I think, being a mom exponentially more challenging, emotionally uh, especially. And um, in particular, we've been thinking about uh, Ahmed Arbery and his mom, Wanda Cooper-Jones. And uh, I guess what I would like, Oshida, if you'd be willing to maybe lead us in a prayer for uh, moms in general, but in particular for Wanda Cooper-Jones, would you be willing to do that? Sure. Thank you. So Lord, we lift up to you, our sister Wanda. And we acknowledge the deep pain that she is feeling this first Mother's Day without her son, Ahmad. Mm. And Lord, we repent of the ways that we, um, that we have turned maybe a blind eye to some of the division and racism in our country. But Lord, we also ask that you show us how we can show up for people who are grieving right now, like our sister Wanda. We pray specifically for friends and community to come around, around her and keep her, um, and keep her loved on and comforted and cared for this day. And so, Lord, I pray also that you show us the small things that we can do to push back against all of the hard conversations that we've had this week that have brought up a lot of pain and brokenness in us. And so, Lord, help us to be reconcilers because you reconciled to us. And so, Lord, we also lift up every mother. The mothers who are grieving, we pray for them to find their comfort in you. And like in the poem said, you show up for every kind of mother, and so we thank you so much. And we thank you that we can look to you, our Lord, as Mother God who nurtures and cares for us. And I think about that scripture where it says that you hold the mother hand um, close and gently to you, that you have a special place for the mother that has young. And so, Lord, I pray that the mothers in this room and the mothers who are watching this simulcast, Lord, that they feel that you are holding them closely and that your favor and your love shines upon them. And that it doesn't matter who else rise up and calls them blessed, but we hope that their children do, Lord. We know that you rise up and call them blessed and good and beloved. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Let us go out to live out your kingdom in small, accessible, powerful ways. Amen.